And I would just say to all mountain bikers out there, like take a step back and think about how much work you've done maintaining or advocacy work or trying to go build a new trail. And that you really, that's kind of a major point of this is that you should be out there doing that, giving back to your community because once you do it, the next person over will see it and the next person over will see. And then all of a sudden you'll have a community that's creating amazing trails in every direction and you've turned the whole tide. Welcome to Trail Effect episode 20. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. For episode 20, we bring you Sky's Shillhammer. Sky is the marketing and media guy at Transition Bicycle Company based out of Bellingham, Washington. In this episode, we discuss how Sky got into the world of bikes and creating media. We also discuss one of Sky's most impactful movies, From Slide to Ride, a movie that recounts a horrific natural disaster in Sky's hometown of Darrington, Washington, and how mountain bike trails have played a role in rebuilding this community. Sky also talks about how digging and getting dirty is an essential job requirement at Transition Bicycle Company. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. A special thanks goes out to Ben Wellenek of Mountain Bike Radio for supporting this podcast and to the people who have shared their time and knowledge. Without this, we would not have these stories to tell. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Sky Shillhammer. Sky is the main guy marketing of for marketing at Transition Bicycle Company. He's also a professional slope style rider and just an all-around rad ripper. How's it going today, Sky? Oh, it's going great. Uh, we're in the midst of a super rainy winter here in Bellingham, but it's still awesome to be able to ride pretty often. Great. Well, let's get into your backstory and how you uh, how you got into the how you got into mountain biking and into this world of trails and stuff that we're in. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I grew up in Washington State, far northwest corner of Washington, which is obviously the northwest corner of our country. And I grew up in this tiny logging town, like less than a thousand people with zero mountain biking. And funny enough, uh, on a random road trip to Hood River, Oregon with my dad um, to go try out windsurfing, which was just a sport that looked cool to us. Um, it was a windless day and we went to the bike shop and rented mountain bikes. And that's where I first saw free ride, uh, the beginning of free ride. There was a bunch of ladder drops and some stuff that Kurt Boreas had actually built um, for some video parts that he was a part of. And I saw that and it was like instant fall in love moment. I was like, this is what I need to do. Um, so we went back home to Darrington, Washington, and I started saving up money, mowing lawns and whatever I could do to get a little bit of cash to buy a bike. Um, which after about a year, I bought a Kona Stinky, which was the hot 
really the hot free ride bike at the time. That was still what pretty much everyone was riding. And I started building ladder drops in the woods and cutting in little trails. And that was really the start of it. And I think I was 14 when I got that stinky. And so for the next few years in high school, um, I was just riding as much as I could, but still playing three sports and actually year round baseball. And so I really wasn't riding that much, but I was trying to do it as much as I could. Um, yeah. So then eventually I went to college in Spokane, Washington. And when I moved over there, I had a lot more time because I wasn't doing uh, like any more other sports and was able to ride a ton. And they had a lot of dirt jumps there, which was something I really had not ever ridden before. And there was just enough people doing it to where I had a little crew and started dirt jumping more and free riding a little less, eventually selling my longer travel rigs and getting into like slope style. Um, and yeah, that, that really was kind of my origins into the sport. And then it progressed a lot from there, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah. So you're currently the marketing manager and marketing director at transition, correct? I am. Yeah. So let's talk about how you got into your role at transition, because I believe it transpired from just riding, correct? It did. Yeah. So when I was living in Spokane, uh, I actually was searching out for sponsorships to, so I could go compete more. And at that time, it was pre-social media really even existing at all. I think there's MySpace and maybe the first couple years of Facebook. But I actually submitted photos in an email and like a little writing video I made to Mike Metzger, who was running the team at Transition. And he got me on board with Transition Bikes in 2009. And so for the next few years, I was doing as many slope style competitions as I could, traveling a bit. Um, and back then, there was actually competitions uh, locally. So stuff within uh, the United States. And then just above the border in Canada, there's like three different events. So it was actually an attainable thing to do, which is, was really fun for me. I really enjoyed trying to learn more tricks and complete runs and but after a bunch of failed attempts at getting into the higher ranks and injuries and those sorts of things, um, I basically started turning my efforts into creating media. And so a lot of that came from downtime and wanting to still be in the sport. I ended up buying a camera. I wanted to go take photos and things of my friends who were still riding. And then the other part was as the world grew in, in social media and those sorts of outlets, pink bike. I really wanted to create more riding pieces and and photos of myself riding to promote myself as an athlete and not necessarily as a competition athlete, but as someone just creating unique media and, and pushing brands through kind of that grassroots level. Um, so I did that for a bunch of years from 2009 to 2017. Um, eventually, I think I just made enough videos to where... Uh, the crew at Transition was like, we want to bring him on board to start making videos for us. And so I, I moved from Spokane to Bellingham in 2017, started doing all the photography and videography. And uh, in the four years since then, it kind of just moved up into managing our entire media scape at Transition and our greater kind of marketing goal and, and method, which is a pretty unique place. It's not not like most places. So it's 
yeah, it's, it's cool. I'm, I'm super fortunate and it's been a, a long journey, but also really fun the whole time. So you got into the whole media thing, just basically you didn't go to school for it. It's just all self-taught. How did, how did that journey go for you? And, and like, what was that? What did that look like? Yeah, it's uh, man, it was, it's, it was really fun. It's still really fun. I think it's something I'm always constantly trying to pursue and get better at, but it's, it's such a creative process. It never ends, which is the best part. But I bought a camera with what little money I had working at uh, a bike shop in Spokane and just started experimenting with throwing it on a tripod, pushing record, running up, getting in the view. And, and then getting home is where you really start to unlock how you do this in, in the editing and learning like how to keep someone's attention, how to make something look cool. And so you're constantly like every little angle decision on the trail is important. And when you're self-filming like that, it's really, really important because there's no camera movement to keep the viewer's attention. It really just needs to be a very well thought out composition. Um, so really it was through that, that this evolution happened where I went from never using cameras in my life to going from zero to a hundred. And within a couple of years, I was doing a bunch of freelance work in Spokane and started doing all the video work for the bike shop I was working at, which was a huge, a huge stepping stone for me that gave me a professional job in media. Um, I was also working there in sales and just in the bike shop, but that was a huge step. Um, and it allowed me to treat myself as a professional in that, in this world and eventually grow to the point where I could get hired by transition, which is global massive company in comparison to a bike shop. So one of the movies you made, and it was more recently, was part of the race face creator series. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Because for me personally, I yeah, I love seeing series like that creator series because it, it really showcases a side of the sport that a lot of people don't always get to see. Mm-hmm. But that movie particularly really, pun intended, hit close to home. Yeah. So I mentioned I grew up in Darrington, Washington, which is this tiny logging town that no one in the whole world's ever heard of because it has less than a thousand people. And while I was in school in Spokane, this landslide occurred that covered a small housing development. And when you only have a thousand people and 50 of them die in an instant, it's a really big deal. And these were all people that I knew and that I had grown up with. Some of them I went to school with, some of them were their parents. Uh, it was only a mile away from where my parents still live. And so it really hit close to home for all of us that were from there. And it's a really long and insane story. So I would encourage you to watch the video. But basically what ended up happening is there was such an outpouring of support from the community within people, basically neighbors helping neighbors um, from logging companies driving their own machinery into the wreckage to help save people, um, you know, taking their own money to buy food for people that needed it. All all these sorts of things were happening. And this uh, created a landslide effect, no pun intended, of other support. And so eventually the Department of Natural Natural Resources, uh, they reached out to the town of Darrington and said, how can we help uh, the people of Darrington in the long run? Not, Not just with resources for this natural disaster, but how can we help them for years and years to come? And so 
I was lucky enough to be a part of the conversation with some of the people like the mayor in town and some of other influential people in Darrington to kind of kind of work with them to think about some sports that are up and coming. And mountain biking is one that's just exploding everywhere. And so with Darrington being about an hour away from big metropolitan areas that have mountain biking, it's just the perfect place to put a new mountain bike central area uh, of trails. And so the Department of Natural Resources funded a million dollars to put this trail network in, in a town that doesn't even know what a mountain bike is, which is definitely the craziest part. And having lived there my whole life without a single trail, and now there's this amazing 3,000 foot descent with a bunch of different lines. Um, yeah, that's so I was, I was super fortunate to make a video about that process and be involved in that process. And there's just some really great people in the town of Darrington that put their heart and souls into the recovery of the people. Um, especially the youth in town. And they're, they're still working on that every day. Um, currently, we're many years out. So what have you seen since those trails have been built in that community? And what style of trail did they build? Did they try to be diverse in their types of trail that they have there? Yeah. So it's it's been incredible to see the fallout from what happens when you just put trails in a community. Um, with no previous mountain bikers there, you're already seeing mountain bike kids r- ride through town to access the trails because they're about a half mile from the town center and you can just pedal right over. Um, there's dads buying bikes, getting their kids into it, whole families up there riding the skills park down low. Um, and then they have these upper trails that are a bit more challenging, but the skills park is incredible. I, I go ride there all the time. I love them. And then the upper trails have a mix of blue to black. So there isn't, there aren't any green trails that go up to like that 3000 foot level, but there are a bunch of green trails down low, which are incredible for anyone in the beginner aspects of riding. Um, another really, really cool and probably the most important piece of this is another thing that came from the landslide is a group called Glacier Peak Institute. And it's a STEM organization that works with the School of Darrington to get kids outside. And despite living in this mountain, mountainous area with no, you know, there's not even a stoplight town, there's no fast food or anything like that, the kids still really don't get out and hike or bike or rock climb or any of the things that are right there. And so his organization does that for kids on school time. So. Every Wednesday, I believe they get out and go rafting, they go mountain biking. And along the way, he's teaching them about biodiversity or geology or even up to engineering. When they're talking about bikes, he'll do break down how bikes work. And so with that program going, he's taking kids to these trails almost weekly, especially in the summer. And, uh, transition actually donated five. GX level, so like $5,000 mountain bikes to his program to use for these kids, which was really, really special to me that Transition was behind me to support that. Something that meant so much to me and to my community that I grew up with. Um, but it, that'll be an effect that'll go on for many years. It's awesome. And throughout all this, you've got a, a whole handful of movies that you've, you've done. What other movies? really stick out to you that you've been able to be a part of through transition. I think there's a, a recent one that came out in the last couple of months called Blue Steel. 
Yeah. Maybe you could hit on that a little bit or maybe some of your other stuff as far as like the videos you do for bike launches and promotional type of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Marketing in the mountain bike world is a really interesting one. And if you're keen to everything that you see on Pink Bike and all the other sites, you can see there are brands that have a vast array of style of marketing. And so I'm super fortunate to be part of Transition because we, for the most part, like to poke fun at the industry as a whole and just take a step back and say, okay, everyone's doing this. We're going to make fun of that or go, or go do it this way or different way. Um, the Blue Steel video you brought up is uh, a video that highlights a project where we put in these big jumps in Bellingham. And the way that whole uh, project transpired was we had just signed Nico Vink, who's probably the world's most legendary big jump builder in the world. And he was passing through Bellingham for a week. And so we were like, well, what is the best thing to possibly do with the world's best jump trail builder? Let's have him build some jumps in town that everyone else in the world can enjoy for free forever. Not a closed course, not just for a video. We're just going to give this to the community. So he came, we rented excavators, we got all the necessary permitting done for the land and moved a bunch of dirt in seven days and put together this jump line that is probably the biggest legal free jump line in the USA. To our knowledge, there's not one that's built like this for free. There's some bike parks that have these things, but this is, you can just walk up and ride it any day, any day of the week. Yeah, which was, it was also timed with the COVID pandemic, which was somewhat perfect in our regard because we couldn't go anywhere anyways. And we had these huge jumps to be shaping. So I, I think me and uh, my coworker Oliver and my other coworker Lars spent uh, about, three months shoveling on these to get them perfect, which was a lot of work. And I think my back still hurts, but it was definitely worth it. Yeah. So you brought up poking fun at the industry. Yeah. And since we're there. Yeah. Let's go there. We can't not talk about your spur video. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that you guys did a e-bike commercial <laughs> in the middle of it. Yeah. Which was classic. I mean, I was watching the video and all of a sudden it cut over that and I'm like, this is so perfect. <laughs> yeah. So e-bikes are obviously all the rage and we don't make an e-bike. Um, and none of us are even against e-bikes at transition, but it's more just a really funny stereotype to to play with, I'd say. And so the spurs are cross-country, you know, super light, pedal-friendly bike. And the video I would say shows Lars and Hannah absolutely shredding on it downhill, which is kind of contrary to what those bikes are usually defined as. Um, but in the middle of it, we popped in this commercial, fake commercial, where we swapped two riders' actual e-bikes for the spur, and they didn't even notice. But like all funny transition videos, they're essentially made up on the spot out in the woods. And so we had the, our actors saying the most stereotypical e-bike responses. I think one of them is like, it's so light. It's the low center of gravity, which is just to us, the funniest thing ever. Like e-bikes aren't light. The low center of gravity is good, but it's still a 50 pound bike. Like doesn't matter where the weight is, it's still 50 pounds. Um, 
yeah, just just general poking fun at that. It, that was super fun. I'm glad other people appreciated it because we weren't sure how that would be taken, but that's the risk. That's the risk you take for poking fun, I guess. So let's let's move over to the the riding scene in Bellingham. Yeah, let's talk about that community. I think obviously, if you're really into the mountain bike industry, you know Bellingham is a a hot spot not only for Washington but for the country. But maybe mm-hmm. you could give some of our listeners. Uh, some insight into what it is the way it is. So this is actually something we we talk about a lot at Transition is trails build a community. And the reason why Transition is in Bellingham, the reason why other bike companies are in Bellingham, the reason why all these people are here is because there's really fun trails. And Galbraith Mountain is our legal trail riding area. It's massive. You have multiple sides of this uh I think it's 2,500 foot mountain with trails in every direction from green, blue, black. Those big jumps we built are up there. There's a bunch of other jump lines. There's a lot of raw, techy stuff, fruity, rocky. It, I mean, it has the most diverse terrain I could ever imagine being in one place. And that really has created a whole community. So you have this hotspot that's adjacent to town, Galbraith, and then every single hillside as you zoom out on Google Earth has a mountain bike trail. And I can't say that any of them are legal, but I can say that they've been there a long time. And for whatever reason, we're able to still ride them and we haven't been kicked out yet. But hopefully that stays the same. But to us, that really is part of our the whole appeal of this community is you have such a great place to get people into riding. So you have this Galbraith area that anyone can go to. Uh, beginner um, families are there. I mean, there's thousands of people there on every day. Um, yet it's so big, it doesn't feel crowded. But then if you are someone who really gets after it, expert rider, pro-level rider, there are those trails as well. It really houses all of that. Um, and it doesn't hurt that Bellingham is about a stones throw away from Canada, which all of us uh, are hurting currently not being able to drive to Whistler and those other places in Canada that we used to regularly go to. But that for sure is a huge part of the community is just being so close to Canada and also having such a cool scene in town. Yeah. So what kind of role does transition play in that? I know we were talking on the phone before we got recording here and you were talking about how Transition really loves to give back to the trails community. Let's get into that a lot because that's really important to highlight how certain companies really do give back to their communities and to trails. Yeah, totally. Well, I I will do a bit of telling Transition's story that I wasn't a part of. I wasn't working here yet, but I, I definitely take it all to heart. And it's something I've kind of ingrained into who I am and what I do on a daily basis and do for transition. Um, when Kyle and Kevin, the two owners moved here, they're both coders. Um, so they can make websites and they used to work for T-Mobile writing code for them. And so right away when they moved here, Galbraith wasn't legal. And so they were a part of this on the ground push to get people to contact our local, uh, governments to create legal trails for us. Although people were riding Galbraith and building trail there, there was always this fear of that being shut down because it was a 
uh, private logging companies land and they could at any point in time throw gates up and no trespassing signs and we would no longer have bike trails. So Kyle and Kevin actually built this website called Preserve Galbraith, if I'm remembering that correctly. And that stemmed a whole movement to really push getting legal trails here and to lock in that our scene would remain and, and only grow from here. So the biggest thing as far as transitions, vibe and culture is that we, everyone that works here, and there's about 24 of us now, we're all doers. We are out there with a shovel in hand or uh, doing work that would help preserve trails for longer than advocacy. That's the word. A lot of us are involved in advocacy work. Uh, a lot of us are building trail, maintaining trail. Um, it's just not enough for really any of us to be okay with just signing a check off to trail organizations saying, Hey, we donated to trails. We gave them $20,000. Instead of that, we'd rather buy an excavator and go use it in the woods. And that's, that's something that's just a part of our culture. And really it's assumed if you work at transition that you are going to be a trail builder. It's not really an option. Um, I know that uh, we hired uh, a finance guy last year and his name's Billy. And his first day, he spent throwing dirt on blue steel all day. He just got hired to do finance work at Transition and his first day was shoveling dirt. That's just a part of the culture. We had everyone out there and it was like, you're a part of the company now. You're going to come do back-breaking labor <laughs> to build trails for the community. That's That really sums up kind of our whole culture and idea behind how you support your local community. And hopefully that makes waves to the entire world. Yeah, that part is, is super important. And since we're talking about your company, let's talk about your company. Let's talk about transition as a, what, you know, why you guys design and build bikes the way you do and kind of what your core values are. Yeah, it's, it's definitely all been an evolution of the people there is a big one. Uh, we had Kyle and Kevin designing everything from the beginning. Then they were doing an amazing job and they were a, a part of the, bikes that in our past that had like straighter tubing, like the bottle rocket, double, blindside, all those bikes came from our two owners. They were doing everything. And those bikes were iconic and definitely made us the brand we are today. The bottle rocket specifically was the the bike that broke transition into the mainstream media that all of a sudden everyone wanted to transition because the bottle rocket did everything. And we still laugh about that today because the bottle rocket basically was the first Enduro bike. Five and a half inches of travel, but downhill bike geometry and a seat post that could go up high enough to pedal up at a time when that didn't exist. Most bikes that could do that were for down only, or there's cross country bikes that went essentially up only. Um, and then from there, they've started, they were growing just enough to hire really key people. And we're talking around those times, like 2007s to 10s, having five to six employees total for this entire company. And they hired more and more people, Darren, the designer, Sam, uh, product manager, all these people started coming in and really making big waves in, in terms of just developing the product further. Um, and then the biggest leap uh, was in 2017 when uh, mostly from the head of Lars Sternberg, who's kind of our magician, product designer guy who just does whatever to make our bike sweet. He help push the entire bike industry forward in geometry. Um, 
and we've made a bunch of videos about that. So I, if you don't know about speed balance geometry, as we've coined it, I would head back and, and find a couple of those because it is really interesting. But uh, basically, he took uh, use of the short offset fork mixed with other geometry numbers to kind of create a special sauce that every single brand almost is using today. That was a massive, massive thing for us because not only did we get put from this brand that makes cool bikes but has a cool marketing vibe to the brand making the most forward thinking bikes that now every other company is catching up to. Um, and so that was in 2017. And luckily, the bikes we've developed since then have been even continued on that forefront of bikes. The Spur being a really big one for us. It almost won bike of the year on Pink Bike in its first, that's our first cross country bike ever. And that was massive for us to get that kind of justification for what we're still up to. Um, yeah, that's kind of it. And you guys do, you do both 27.5 inch wheels and 29er wheels. Mm -hmm. Is there, you know, that's kind of a, I guess a hot topic within the industry is, mm -hmm. is wheel size, right? Of course. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Or even your thoughts personally on that? Well, I think the, the company's thoughts are there's a wheel size for everyone. Everyone has their own choice and there's no right or wrong. Um, I personally like all of them for different reasons. Funny enough, uh, like I ride a Scout a lot, which is 27.5 front and rear. And it's just a really fun bike that I don't feel pressured to be going super fast on. I would say that in super fast terrain, it doesn't really do that well. But it also is really fun going a little slower and hopping around. It, the wheels feel, you feel a bit more compact. Um, but then the Sentinel, which is kind of the 29 inch wheeled counterpart to the Scout, is the very, very confident high speeds. It loves to plow rough terrain. It also jumps really well because those big wheels fly really smoothly. Um, so it, it's still really playful and fun, but also is far more confident at high speeds. We have our enduro racers on that bike, you know, in the world stage racing. Um, and so it really, there's no right or wrong. I'd say I, I also ride my spur a lot, just 29 inch wheels and it's super light and flickable, which is fun, but also holds speed well. Um, so I know that a lot of brands are going mostly 29 because that's what the consumers are kind of telling us we should do. That's definitely where global sales are moving towards more 29ers, but we will continue to make 27.5 bikes for sure because they are a lot of fun and have their place. Speaking of sales, you know, and we've talked about the spur also, and, and I've talked about the spur with other guests on this podcast. Cool. It's a it's in a market segment that I think a lot of us can agree that most people should be on for a bike. For sure. You know, especially those that maybe don't live in areas that have big jumps and burly lines. Yeah. Did that bike when you guys were developing that and it and it and you released it, did it do what you thought it would do in terms of sales or did it or did it exceed that? Well, that man, you brought up a couple really great points. And I would say it it did both. When we were developing it, we were kind of like, okay, we think this bike's cool, but we actually were very openly thinking of a bike 
that would be enjoyable for somewhere not Bellingham, which is the first time that we've really looked at a bike in that regard. Most of the time we take it out to our, I would say, relatively steep, nasty trails here and go, if the bike's good here, that's awesome, which has really led to all the bikes you see from us, like pretty long travel, really slack, um, usually, or could be heavier sometimes on our carbon bikes, but our aluminum bikes are usually built pretty burly. And the spur, we were like, let's make a bike that someone in lacrosse would love, someone in Sedona, Arizona would love, someone in Florida would love, because we have dealers in all these places asking for this bike from us. Make something shorter travel, make something the pedals better, but we love your geometry. And so we really took all this feedback and went about it the best way we know, which is putting Lars's brain into it and a bunch of the other product team to make something that's still really fun to ride for everyone. When we released the bike though, I will say that we were like, how is the world going to take this? We're transition bikes. We make free ride bikes. Our first bike was a dirt bag. It was probably 55 pounds with a bunch of travel and a 24 inch rear wheel. Our, is the world going to be okay with transition making a cross country bike? And it was a resounding yes. They sold out within six hours. We had zero left that day. The day we released it, they sold out. And we, of course, got more in stock and those also sold out. And now the waiting period for one of those is about a year, um, which is, that's just never happened for us. But the, the pandemic has played a role. We've seen all the bikes sales go way up from every brand. But uh, yeah, that was insane. And we're really stoked to see people in other places of the world enjoying that bike uh, to the levels they do. What are you seeing then locally? Do you see a lot of people and even in your own, under your own uh, business using that bike and going to that bike over other bikes? Definitely. More than you maybe thought you would? Absolutely. And even I, I can speak for myself 100%. I looked at the Spur. I said, that's a great bike. I really like it, but I will never need to own one. Uh, it's just not how I ride. I hit jumps usually, or I go ride some of our shuttle trails and, and those sorts of things. I'm just usually on that sector of the or section of the sport where it's a little bit more towards downhill free ride. But I rode it and was like, I have to have this bike. It's just so fun. It's a great compliment. If you live in Bellingham, it's a great compliment to your longer travel bike, which I still have and I still love. But if I'm just going to do a loop by myself from my house, I want to just pedal out, get a good ride in and have something fun and not stressing me out riding scary terrain then I ride my spur. And I, I would say I probably am riding the spur seven times out of 10 on a weekly basis. Like on more times I'm riding that bike than any other bike. I mean, I take it to the pump track because it's so fun. And then I'll take it and go for a pedal right after. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think we covered most of the questions, but what I don't know is if there's something that you want to talk about that we haven't covered yet in closing, or is there some stuff, maybe some stuff that you can hint at for the future or just anything else that we didn't, that we didn't cover here. Yeah. How much do you think that the trail building kind of topics are, are something you, your listeners would like to hear more about? For sure. That's, I'd say that's, that's the reason we're doing this. Yeah. Okay, cool. Trail, and that's the reason why I started this podcast. It's, there's a lot of trail building content out there, but mm -hmm. I've always thought there isn't enough. Yeah, sure. And I don't know if there ever could be enough. Yeah. In my world. Right, right. Um, well, I just wanted to 
I have, I've had these thoughts for a while about a kind of a, a call to action of sorts because, uh, I see a lot of kids locally that, that think that trails are going to be built for them and that they, that they don't have any power to go create something. Um, and I think one of the coolest things of trails is that if you start on a project and really just get out there and get going, grab one friend, start by yourself, grab a friend, whatever, and get going, like you will see this transformation happen really quickly. And that's one of the coolest parts about the Bellingham community is that there are so many trail builders here. It's, it is almost a given if you're a mountain biker, you're going to be a trail builder. It, it, they go hand in hand. And I would just say to all mountain bikers out there, like, take a step back and think about how much work you've done maintaining or advocacy work or trying to go build a new trail. And that you really, that's kind of a major point of this is that you should be out there doing that, giving back to your community because once you do it, the next person over will see it and the next person over will see. And then all of a sudden you'll have a community that's creating amazing trails in every direction and you've turned the whole tide. Yeah, that's, so there's a there's a camp that I help out with in the summer here in Wisconsin called Camp Blue Dog and they've been going I think for 14 or 15 years now I can't remember but they actively put you know you you have a jumping station you have a hill, a downhill station you have a climbing station and you have a trail building station mm, that's cool for that purpose because they want kids to know that these trails don't just fall from the sky or that it isn't just about raising money and paying a professional to come in and do it, yep. you know? Totally. And so you hit a good point there. And that's something that I think anyone listening, you know, especially if you're from a, a skills and, and camp type of arena, put a aspect of, of trail building into your curriculum. NICA is starting to do that now. But yeah, if, I mean, if you have any type, even if it's just the advocacy side, you know, we, we always need more access, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, I've seen it personally where you take a group of kids to a city council meeting and you have them show up in their jerseys. Yeah, that's sweet. People know why they're there because they don't fit in, right? Yeah. And and it's tough to say no to kids. That's a great that's a great idea. You know, so so you, you've you've really nailed it with, you know, if you're a mountain biker, just get involved even if it's one time a year you know, find a way to, to, to give back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you, obviously you guys live in a community that has tons of giving back. I mean, how many bike companies are there? You know, there's, yeah. Uh, so there's three and I'm not even talking about just frame manufacturers. I mean, like bike related companies. There's a lot. I know there's us, uh, evil bikes, Kona bikes. Uh, we have like high above, like hit packs and custom packs, uh, tenant components, uh, free hub medias here. What else? I'm probably missing a bunch that I'm just not thinking of, but there's, there's a lot. Trail boss. Have you heard of trail boss tools? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're right next door to transition currently. Yeah. Those are the tools that, those are the tools that are basically like kind of telescoping or come apart so you can pack them easily. Yep. Yeah. They're really great. Yeah. The, uh, I got to throw a plug in for a lacrosse native who has a small frame manufacturing company in there, which is Donkalope. Greg Heath. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You know, he's, 
eager up here where I am across where, where this podcast comes out of. And he moved to Bellingham just to ride bikes and was a welder. And it's a good place to do it. Went from there. That's awesome. Well, Sky, I really, I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to sit down and discuss transition, discuss how transition is really involved with the local community and, you know, both on an, an advocacy side, a trail building side, and just wanting to make sure things, you know, stay legal and on the, on the up and up and that everybody has access. So it's greatly appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. It was a really fun time. Thank you very much for listening to the interview with Sky and stay tuned as we have some more incredible guests lined up. If you like what you have heard on these shows, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness on both the podcast series itself and the guests who have taken the time to be on the show. Also, please remember to leave a comment and rate the show wherever you consume your podcasts. This podcast has been made possible by Mountain Bike Radio, Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and is an Evolution Trail Services production. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>